Welcome to Locked On NFL, your daily podcast on the National Football League on the number one daily sports podcast network alongside the scout Matt Williamson. I am Brian Peacock. You can find this show on all of your favorite podcast apps. You can find me on Twitter at BDPeacock. Matt is a must follow at Williamson NFL. I wonder, Matt, if you might have... An apology coming up later in the show, but that's on the NFC side. Some really good games for the divisional round of the playoffs. I want to start with the AFC, though, because those games were crazy. Yeah, they really were. It was a good weekend of football for sure. Some upsets, some dominant performances by, you know, uh, underdogs and favorites alike. One question for you, and I know you don't have this answer. I don't think coaches have this answer. I don't have this answer. But I thought this was another interesting study of rest versus rust. You know what I mean? The, yes. the Like, the Ravens didn't play their best game. And they sat last week. And they didn't play a lot of guys in Week 17. The Niners were awesome and looked super fresh. You know, like, when's is the week off always a good thing? Is it not? The Chiefs started extremely slow, you know, after a week and then turned it on, obviously. You know, I mean, um, I, I don't have the answer. I just think it's an interesting discussion. And my bet is coaches have no clue either. I think it's very difficult for the coaches, the players, and you add the playoff atmosphere into it. So some guys might be a little bit, like, for the for example, those um, those Chiefs receivers dropping everything in the first quarter like right, for no right. reason, and so you got to think people are a little bit rusty, maybe not playing for a week, maybe a little bit tight. It's big time playoff football, and maybe that all comes together, and we saw some some odd happenings because of it. And when it comes to that, start with that Chiefs game because that was crazy, twenty four sure. nothing, and I want to kill Bill O'Brien. For the fake punt, I thought that was awful. You have that. You have a twenty-four nothing lead. The one thing you can't do is turn the ball over in your own territory to a team that can score like the Chiefs can and get that crowd that was completely silent back into the game. That was, I think, the worst move. And look, they scored seven or what eight straight times, seven straight touchdowns, and then a field goal. They might have come back anyway. But you can't help them out. So I thought that was really the worst move of the day. And then, wow, Patrick Mahomes just going crazy at that point. And, and once the train got rolling, it was not going to stop for the Chiefs. And, and feel bad for the Texans and Deshaun Watson. He's playing the guitar in slow motion on the sideline, up 24 nothing, And then they just get clobbered. An unbelievable and historic game. I mean, a fifty-one to thirty-one finish after being twenty-four to nothing. I mean, it's crazy. It's almost like Patriots Falcon Super Bowl type of deal. I mean, just it to was, come back was enough. They blew them out on the yeah, other side. Right, then right. they didn't edge them out. I mean, I hit my bet with Chiefs minus ten and wasn't even sweating it. You know, by the third quarter, I mean, crazy, amazing. And a couple things. I mean, you mentioned O'Brien. I don't think game management's ever been his strength. I mean, I think that's one of his weaknesses flat out. And certainly not only that fake punt, but some curious fourth down decisions, whether to kick it, whether to go. Um, Late in the game, I don't want to completely throw O'Brien under the bus, but it sure looked like they were down like 17 late in the game and he was going to punt it until Deshaun Watson convinced him otherwise. Like, what are we doing here? You know, like (laughs) his game management was a little questionable. And kind of like the start the conversation, the start the podcast, 
I thought the Chiefs came out very rusty. I mean, a lot of draw passes, not Mahomes' fault. Special teams and drop passes to me were the story of the first half when it was competitive. And, you know, a block punt for a touchdown, obviously. And then forget about it. I mean, a big reason I thought the Chiefs would steamroll the Texans was there's a lot of analytics out now, and the tape shows this as well, that the Chiefs passing game struggles more versus man coverage than they do zone. And I thought, man, Romeo's not going to play man against these guys. He just doesn't have a secondary to do it. And in the end, that was very justified. When they played man, they got torched. When they played zone, there was open gaps everywhere. I mean, they had no answer on the back end at all. And once Andy Reid figured this out and Mahomes was hot and we know their weapons, Kelsey's playing hurt, it doesn't matter. I mean, it ended end up being a boat race. The Kansas City Chiefs will be hosting the AFC championship game. And there was so there was two teams to me that at the end of the weekend, you watched them and you thought, okay, that's the scary team. That's the team if I'm one of the other playoff teams, I'm watching that game thinking, okay, that's the team I don't want to play. And in the yeah. AFC, it was definitely the Kansas City Chiefs. Just wow, the way they were able to put up 28, 13, 10 points in the last three quarters and overcome 24 nothing deficit like it was nothing. They they overcome that. They overcame that before his halftime. 51-31 Chiefs over the Texans. Uh, I think they played well on the defensive side of the ball too. I love seeing uh, just instincts on that side of the ball. And Tyron Matthew all over the place and Frank Clark getting involved. He had three sacks in this one. And I know he had a really slow start to the regular season, but getting a dynamic pass rusher in the playoffs, uh, hitting on all cylinders is really important. So uh, that's a a scary team. And and Terrell Suggs making an appearance too. I almost forgotten they picked him up. Yeah, uh, the defense is playing well. I think it's a well-coached unit. It's a playmaking unit. It's a faster unit than it's been. They were without Thornhill, who had a good rookie year. That didn't matter. Um, And then Chris Jones, who's clearly their best player on that side of the ball, didn't play for this one. And early on, I was thinking, boy, they could really use Chris Jones. And I I assume he'll be back for the next week's game. I'm not positive on that. But, I mean, he's a phenomenal player top 10 type defensive guy and they pretty much shut the Texans out at that point. I mean, we're just a dominant team. You, you could see how the, the crowd noise, it's going to be a challenge for the Titans to go into Kansas city, brutal place to play. I mean, fans are phenomenal. That offense is just so good. Of course, we got to mention uh, Travis Kelsey. He caught 10 of 12 targets. He caught three of those touchdown passes, three of the five that Patrick Mahomes threw. But, Matt, I think the, the th- when I was watching this game, I thought of you, and I thought, okay, I bet Matt has a special teams diatribe ready to go for Monday's show. Is there anything you want to mention about special teams as it pertains to these playoff teams? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously, I mentioned to start the show, I mean, drops and special teams to me were the early story of this game. You know, the blocked punt. Um, Chiefs are making plays on special teams, too. Big run back by Hardman. I mean, it's unbelievably important, and I think people overlook that facet way too much. We're going to get to the Titans here in a minute, but they picked up a kicker over a month ago, and he still hasn't had to try a field goal. (laughs) I mean, after going this season, missing more kicks than they made during the year. So I'm not saying that I'm – well, I am saying. I mean, I like what the Titans are doing, and we'll get to them. But at some point, your kicker is going to have to come through in the playoffs, and this guy hasn't even done anything except kick extra points and kick off. There was a coaching hire, Matt, 
that was announced this weekend, and we will get into that because it pertains to two teams that played Saturday. But do you think there should be a new coaching vacancy? Just really quick before we move on to the next game, you're the owner of the Houston Texans, Bill O'Brien. Do you sack him? Or, I mean, he's a playoff coach. He's been there a long time. Do you let that play out with Bill O'Brien if you had to make that choice today? Well, two little nuggets on that is if you're I, I try to avoid Twitter, but I mean, in the first quarter of Twitter, Andy Reid kept win the big one. Fire him. <laughs> O'Brien's yeah, uh-huh. the man. He's awesome. Look what he's doing with this team. And then it wasn't long after. O'Brien's the worst coach in the league. We can't put up with this much longer. I mentioned he's not the greatest game day coach. I mean, I would put him in the middle of the pile in coaches overall. But that's such a unique situation. I mean, if you think about it, he's coach and GM right now. I mean, he's the one trading for Tunsil and making all these moves, basically. I think you just got to ride it out one more year at least. I mean, you have a talented team that he built. You don't have future first. You know, I mean, you've been trading. You've been all in with this group. And you won a playoff game, and you had a good quarter or so in, in Kansas City. <laughs> I mean, I understand it's a disaster. I'm not sure that it would have mattered if Vince Lombardi was a coach, though, when it was all said and done. And the Kansas City Chiefs have an opponent Sunday. They will be hosting, surprisingly, the Tennessee Titans. We'll get to the Titans-Ravens matchup and the NFC games next. To get fit in 2020, you don't have to join a gym or pay a ton for overpriced fitness equipment. The best way to get in the best shape of your life is with Echelon. Go to echelonfit.com to discover their EX1 connected fitness bikes that offer a high-quality at-home cycling experience at less than half the price of a Peloton. Echelon makes beautifully engineered products for everyone, busy moms and dads, first responders, and elite athletes, whatever your activity level. And with the daily live and on-demand studio classes, right in your home, you'll never have to step foot in a gym. You'll love Echelon, but if you aren't 100% satisfied, we'll give your money back. Join the hundreds of thousands of men and women who are getting fit with Echelon. Don't pay a ton for a Peloton. Buy an Echelon bike today for under $1,000. Go to echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-F-L to learn more about their limited-time free Apple iPad exclusive offer. Echelon, it's your time. That's E-C-H-E-L-O-N fit.com, echelonfit.com slash L-O-N-F-L. Remember those days when you were always ready to go? Now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Bluechew.com, that's blue like the color blue. I've told you about them many times. If you haven't tried it, you're out of your mind. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know that they work. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever the opportunity arises. Guys, I never understood the pill thing. I mean, hey, you're going to make an appointment for an hour from now? I mean, Blue Chew works so much better. Blue Chew is prescribed online, ships straight to your door in a discreet package, so no in-person doctor visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, zero awkwardness. Made in the USA, and Blue Chew prepares and ships direct. They're cheaper than a pharmacy. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment totally free 
All you're paying is $5 shipping and you're getting way more than $5 worth of product. Promo code is locked on. Again, that's bluechew.com, promo code locked on to try it free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice. And we thank them a great deal for sponsoring the podcast. The six seed beating the one seed, Matt, the big takeaway from me with the Titans knocking off the Baltimore Ravens, 28-12 was, and everyone talks about Lamar Jackson, and that's important, and we'll get into him, but the game script that we said couldn't happen for the Titans and win this game kind of did happen for the Titans, and they just play really good defense, and they don't have to lean heavily on their quarterback or able to run the ball, keep away from a team. The big takeaway to me, though, is they got out to the early lead. When it was 14-0, you changed the way the Ravens play football, and that's something I never really paid attention to with the Baltimore Ravens. They aren't the Baltimore Ravens when they're down two scores early in a game, and it changes completely the way they have to play. I think that was absolutely huge, and to me, the play of the game was that interception that wasn't a great throw, but it went off Andrew's hands, and Andrew looked like he was not quite himself. The Ravens were driving right down the field, slicing through the Titans in Raven-like fashion, and then, boom, that interception happened, and the tides turned dramatically. And you're 100% right. I mean, I do think that's the theme, I think, with both these teams, you know, that maybe if the Ravens score on that drive and they get up, then the Titans are playing left-handed and can't just keep pounding at the Henry, and they're playing comeback mode. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not sure either one of these teams is – you know, structured to come back from a, a deficit. That being said, um, you know, I mentioned the Titans kicker hasn't been asked to do anything. Ryan Tannehill hasn't been asked to do anything. I mean, it's amazing. And I'm a Tannehill believer. I'm not, I'm not cutting on him one bit. It's an amazing formula that they've been able to pull off over two games that their quarterback throws for like 100 yards. I mean, it's insanity. And a couple of really great catches helping him out. I mean, he had a 109.5 rating, even though he only completed seven passes. And when you count uh, Ryan Tannehill and Jimmy Garoppolo, put them together, I think that was 18 total completions for two teams that that are going to their respective league's championship games. That's a wild way and in a in a pretty unique in this day and age, recipe for winning a playoff game. Then you look at the other side and Lamar Jackson's statistics. If I told you Friday, Lamar Jackson's final line would be 143 rushing yards and 365 passing yards, you would have thought (laughs) Ravens by 30, right? Right, and then Marquise Brown had an 80-yarder and, you know, like, (laughs) exactly. Um, Let's talk about both these teams, and this is a little more general because obviously the Titans were the better team on this day. They've been the bully in big-time teams' building two weeks in a row. I love how they're built. They're built like a 1985 Earl Campbell-type team. I mean, two highly drafted tackles go out and get saffled. Even their receivers are big physical guys. Henry, needless to say, is a total unicorn and a total freak. The defense, to me, looked like a bunch of early picks. Evans and Landry, Simmons. I mean, these guys are potentially great young players in the making. You saw speed on the field. You saw them nullify the Ravens' speed. You saw playmakers. You saw physicality, fourth and one, you know, toughening up in short yardage situations, flying around the ball, not letting Lamar free on the edges. Um, but I also think as much of the story in this game is the Ravens. And they did start rusty. 
they kind of had, they absolutely had to play left-handed to some degree. Um, Harbaugh's getting heat for going for it on fourth, but that's what they've done, and they've been highly yeah. successful. It just didn't work out on this day. I just kind of think that it was not the Ravens' best performance, and I'm not taking anything away from the Titans. I've been in their corner since they won on this. If they played this one ten times, I'd still probably pick the Ravens to win six or seven. Didn't go their way. You mentioned the game script is huge. But there's one thing that's uh, I, I've been writing every week. I write a little blurb about the North teams and something I wrote maybe five times this year about the Ravens, even when times were good was, and this isn't their to- total reason for their loss, but I thought their reliance on Andrews and Brown and really no one else as receivers was a really weak limb to go out on a second year tight end who wasn't 100% in this game, a first-year receiver who's a deep-threat specialist. Like, boy, I've thought throughout the year, and I've written this several times, that if they get derailed, it might be the receiver's fault more than people think. Mm-hmm. And I thought that showed up huge in this game. There were, I mean, Lamar, like you mentioned, Lamar, does they don't want him to throw that percentage of the time. But there was times where he was buying time or sitting in the pocket and nobody's uncovering. And I'm just sitting there thinking, wow, could they use Steve Smith, Anquan Bolden, Derek Mason, you know, like Todd Heap. I mean, the, the old guy that they probably stole from another team on his last legs. It's not a rookie or a second-year guy that's a route runner that's crafty that knows how to get open. I've heard the name Amari Cooper floated out there, which I wow. think would be fantastic yeah. and a perfect fit. And that was painfully obvious. They were not uncovering at all. I, I mean, and no. you've got to, on both of those points you made, the fourth downs that were stuffed by the Titans and in coverage, you also have to credit the Titans for how good they played on defense. Their their secondary played amazing. They were all over these receivers. Marquise Brown got loose a few times and made one really great catch, which is a nice throw by, by Lamar Jackson. But you could just tell, I mean, He's trying to come back from a deficit throwing to Willie Sneed and Seth Roberts. No, you know, no knock on those guys, but they could absolutely use some more help at wide receiver because you're not going to come back from a two, three score deficit throwing to your tight end over the middle of the field. Right. And I, I don't think that their skill guys looked all that healthy. You know, I mentioned Andrews, obviously Ingram, um, but they weren't, they don't have the depth there. They don't have the playmakers there. They don't have the reliability there. And I thought that hurt them bad. And Lamar's catching heat for it. I thought he played fine. I mean, I have no concerns about him at all. I have no concerns about the style of play the Ravens play on offense. But last note, and this isn't kind of a general thought, and it also applies to the Patriots. And first of all, I go to Pro Football Focus almost every day. I love I love their site. They've been one of the top proponents of this, but it's also an analytical trend across media analytics is it's better to build your team with secondary and cover guys than it is front people. But what if you play a team that comes out in 22 personnel? You're going to have six defensive backs on the field? You know, like, <laughs> I've always – I'm an old-school guy. I mean, I'll take the Bosa's of the world over the, the corners, and I'll take – I always want defensive linemen, as many as I can get, if I'm in, investing in a defense as opposed to secondary. And I get that their numbers all add up the opposite way, but you run into a team like this, you're playing with lesser guys on the field – personnel groupings can get you out of that is what I'm saying. I t- I'm 100% on it with you. And there's been that argument and to the analytics side credit, it's like, okay, well, corners are a little bit more valuable than 
pass rushers. And to me, I don't think that's the case, but they're, but pass rushers are still number two on that list. They're both very important, <clears throat> and I agree with that. But the way I would look at it with building a secondary, if I was building a team from scratch, I would put the my first first-round pick or my biggest money acquisition aside from quarterback on an edge rusher, on the pass rusher. It's harder to find that one just monstrous dude that's coming off the edge that's so hard to block that you have to double team forward that you have to uh that you have to scheme around over the corner because I almost look like at secondary now with how much teams spread the ball out and how much teams throw the ball that they can find your weakest link and you can avoid a shutdown corner for the most part and target the other side of the field if you want to as an offense because you're in control of the ball I almost look at the secondary like the offensive line now where you're as good as your weakest link get five really good players rather than spending all of your capital whether it's free agent money or draft picks on one great player yeah i hear you because i i do think anywhere in your back seven including linebacker if you have a slow dude if you have a, a target on your chest every offensive coordinator now is going to find a way to do it um what's remarkable and we'll get to this game too is it, it almost was the opposite with green bay like they only got one receiver, and they schemed up ways to get him open no matter what. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Devontae Adams, obviously, who was remarkable, but you couldn't get anybody. You couldn't put five guys on Devontae Adams in that game. You know I mean? But I've always been a believer. I want the big people. I think they affect play-by-play -play more, not to mention, of course, they affect the running game more. They hit the quarterback. I mean, it's great to have cover men. Don't get me wrong. But you run into Derrick Henry, it doesn't help you to have four good corners. I'm glad you brought up the Packers. Let's get to them next. We've got Titans at Chiefs next Sunday, and the NFC matchup should also be a good one. These games all took on a life of their own, and the Packers-Seahawks game was the most competitive in the end and I think the most fun in the fourth quarter. But it was also, it just nailed that five-point Packers line, 28-23, Packers over the Seahawks. Green Bay will go to San Francisco in the NFC championship game, and the bookies nailed this one. So the, the end result wasn't anything that nobody expected, but right. the game was a little bit closer in the end, which made it more fun. And Matt, I don't know if you have that apology ready for Packers fans. You've been crushing the, uh, you haven't been crushing the Packers all year, but you've been doubting them all year. They're your NFC championship game team now anything you have to say to uh, those Packers fans out there that might be wagging their uh, finger at I'm you I'm not sure I'm ready okay. to go okay. there yet. I mean because I've also said for two weeks in a row I've been wanting to bet against Seattle I just have, have haven't liked the teams they've played either so I'm still gonna be a little rough on Green Bay great win and I hope people didn't think I was doubting Rodgers but I did think Rodgers had a down year and wasn't you know, the superstar that he usually is this season. But he was phenomenal in this game, made huge throws when he had to. Um, and I mentioned before, I mean, Devontae Adams was the MVP. I mean, he was a one-man passing attack. He was phenomenal. Aaron Jones looked really good. And what I like disliked about both these teams is, I think I said this on Friday, I looked at Seattle and thought, they have two playmakers on offense, Lockett and probably Metcalf. The Packers have two on offense, Aaron Jones and Adams. But the rest of those other skill guys are blah for both teams. And a great win by Green Bay. I, I don't mean to take things away from them. But I looked at Seattle, especially like at the half when it was 21-3 and thought, okay, this is finally the game where 
it's one on 11. It's Wilson against the entire team and is getting no help from anybody. And these running backs are a disaster. Stop handing them the ball. Please just put Wilson in the shotgun and throw it every time. And his receivers aren't getting open. He's not getting pass blocked and helping at all. And to his credit, and I think he's the best player on the planet right now, Wilson almost made this thing. You know, he did make it interesting and almost pulled it out. And there was a port in the fourth quarter. I'm like, Wilson's going to get a win here. I can't believe it. <laughs> I thought so, yeah. It started getting closer and closer. And it was like, wait a second, is this going to happen? Because I thought it was right. pretty much over like some of the other games were in the first half. Seattle looks terrible, and they might win this game. Definitely on the talent side of the ball, the the, the Seahawks, you could just see it. They, they did not have enough, aside from Russell Wilson, who's still great and still almost went out there and won that game for him. I have a friend who is a big-time Seahawks fan, and he's like, all we have to do is draft three cornerbacks and three offensive linemen. And I was like, uh, I don't think you guys have that many draft picks to be doing that, but I understand the <laughs> right. sentiment. It's like, talent-wise, they need to uh, fix some things, and it's just not even close to those really good teams the Seahawks have had in the past. And I think you have to skew your offense toward letting Russell Wilson go crazy. Like yeah. From here on out, let him be the guy. He should throw the heck out of the ball all the time. You can still run the ball and be physical. You can be physical and throw the ball and put the team on your quarterback's shoulders at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Seattle also needs to find a pass rush. Clowney's a free agent. You know, we'll spend a lot of time maybe starting in the bye week of some of these teams that are eliminated. You know, what do they go from here type of thing. Um, and I understand why Carroll does it. Well, first of all, I think part of it is because he's somewhat of an old man set in his ways in terms of being so run heavy. He also is trying to you know, protect this defense. Obviously he knows it's not the Legion of boom anymore. He's trying to shorten games. And he also reeled Wilson in a little bit a couple of years ago and took some of the sandlot lot style out of him. All that being said, I mean, to handcuff Wilson in any way, shape or form to me is a coaching mistake. Absolutely. I think it was Preston Smith after the game said chasing Russell Wilson around is like trying to chase around a chicken in a yard with no fence. Or something like that. Yeah, it is. And I love that. And that, I love watching both of these quarterbacks because they're both cool and you always get the feeling that they're never out of the game. And Aaron Rodgers with his demeanor, he goes down, he throws a touchdown pass, and he looks at the sideline like, Yeah, of course, that's what that's what we're supposed to do, right? That's what I just did. It's like no big deal. So I and I love they're they're very different, but I love both those quarterbacks and you never feel like you're out of it. But Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, victorious. Eight catches for 160 yards and two touchdowns from, uh, I agree with you, the MVP of that game, Devontae Adams, who was able to get open even though he should have had three or four guys on him at all times. And then I don't the, like it. The big catch from Jimmy Graham that I don't think got over the line, but it was close enough. And the, the Green Bay Packers advance. They will go to San Francisco to face the 49ers, who just thoroughly dominated the Vikings Saturday 27-10. to 10. Yeah, and quick question for you. I also don't think Graham crossed the line, but I also knew it was not getting overturned. And small potatoes, I'm not going to whine too much about that, obviously. Um, Back to the Green Bay apology, though, and I know it's for different reasons. From your Niners perspective, I bet you weren't too unhappy about a Packer win. No, the 49ers (laughs) thoroughly thumped. Basically, it was a very similar game to what we saw with 49ers Vikings when the 49ers played the Packers earlier this season, beat them 37 to 8. And we'll get way more into those matchups. And uh, we might have to have Peter Bukowski of Locked On Packers on the program this week. We've we've talked to every That'd other host, I think, from the championship games this year. So I guess we got to go Packers this week. I like it. That'd be, that'd be ideal. That'd be great. Here's a stat that 
will tell the story of 49ers Vikings. Stephon Diggs on the Vikings' second drive of the game. They went three and out in the first drive. The second drive of the game, 71 yards, a 41-yard touchdown pass to Stephon Diggs. Their next seven drives, 24 plays, eight yards for the Vikings offense. Wow. Wow. And we opened the show rest versus rust. I mean, this team looked rested, healthy, nobody on the injury list. They looked deep. I mean, bringing out Brita late in the game and rotating corners and a deep defensive line. Um, guys like Bourne making plays, you know, down the pecking order. Um, I, this one I think we need to spend the least amount of time on, and I certainly want to hear your views on it, but – this was a slaughtering to me that was much worse than 27-10. Yes, the score doesn't even indicate how badly the 49ers dominated the Vikings, and partly because around the third quarter, there was a Richard Sherman interception. The following drive by the 49ers, they ran the ball eight straight times. It yeah. was something like six yards, four yards, four yards, seven yards, five yards, 11 yards, touchdown. Just straight down their throat, and at that point in the game, I think they threw one screen pass and maybe a shovel pass. And pretty much ran the ball every single... They ran the ball 47 times, the 49ers did. And Tevin Coleman, 22 of those carries for 105 yards. He had two touchdowns. The opening drive of the game, Jimmy Garoppolo, a lot of people thought with the 49ers, okay, a young team, a lot of first-time starters in the playoffs, including Jimmy Garoppolo. He's been on the sidelines for a whole bunch of playoff games and Super Bowls and has rings. But this is the first time he was the starting quarterback in a playoff game. First drive of the game, he was 5 of 6. They knifed down the field. He threw a touchdown pass to Kendrick Bourne. And by the second half, they were just running the ball straight down the Vikings' throat. And there was nothing the Vikings could do. It was a pretty amazing display, running the ball 47 times to just uh, solidify that game. And then the pass rush came on in the second half and, and pretty much closed out the game, sacking Kirk Cousins six times. Yeah, big time. I mean, it was great defense, healthy defense. D Ford makes a difference. Alexander's speed on the second level. Like I said, depth across the board. The Vikings looked pretty weary. I mean, I mean, as fresh as the Niners look, the Vikings looked like they were lacking some oomph as well after a huge win on the road. It looked like a, a pretty battered and worn out football team. Um, and then, I mean, a good year from the Vikes, and people will probably be hard on Cousins. I don't think that's deserving. It was a little bit of that Seattle conversation, though, of how many times on first and 10 are you going to run Dalvin Cook into a brick wall? But I don't know that they had a lot of other answers offensively either. And I also thought, you know, not that they didn't do everything well, but I, I thought that the tackle position for the Niners also had a really good game. Griffin and Hunter have been really disruptive of late, and uh, they did a good job with them. I mean, they won every facet. Dominating fashion, 49ers. I mentioned the two teams that were scary, and I think most people probably knew which teams I was talking about. The 49ers and the Chiefs, you come away watching the divisional round of the playoffs. Those are the teams that scare you, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I'm going to sell, sell the Packers short until they win it all, obviously. They, they have won 14 games this year, so maybe I should just shut up about that. But Tennessee is really impressive, too. They have to play a certain way. But I wanted to end the show because I get a lot of heat by Williamson. You're such, I'm so sick of hearing about the Steelers. You're such a Steelers homer. But, hey, folks, the world is a way better place with Tennessee making the playoffs than Pittsburgh. Yes, I'm glad they got in, and they're a fun team right now, and you cannot yeah. count them out. We've seen it. They knocked off the Patriots. They knocked off the Ravens, so they can knock off the Chiefs, too. 
I love where the Titans are right now. I like the Chiefs better, but I think the Chiefs and the, the Niners are on a collision course, but I thought the Chiefs and the Ravens are on a collision course. Chiefs, Titans, Packers, 49ers, championship weekend is set, and Matt, I'm sure the Packers are going to go win the Super Bowl just to spite you. That would be fine by me. I mean, people that have been listening to me for many years have gotten on my case that I like Aaron Rodgers too much. I often talk about he might be my my favorite quarterback of all time and not just from a rooting fan interest. As for if I was building a team, I would take, you know, five years ago version of Aaron Rodgers. So I'm fine with that. Um, I don't think it's going to happen, though. <laughs> and in the words of Marshawn Lynch, everybody out there, take care of your mentals and your chickens. And we'll be back tomorrow to break down a new coaching hire, which which is very surprising based on the finish of that 49ers Vikings game. And of course we will dive deep into these matchups in the NFC and AFC championship right here. Locked on NFL.